This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are all alone. We're born alone. We die alone. And as melodramatic as that sounds, it, 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 it does it, right? I, I, I say it in my book and I have to sort of soften it by saying, you know, take some, take some deep breaths. But it's a thing. We all die alone. Well, that's what they say, isn't it? And it's sort of true in an abstract kind of way. But really, we often die surrounded by loved ones. Ideally, they don't come with us on that journey. So you could say we embark on it alone. But then that's only if you really believe there is some sort of post-life journey. Where we are often alone is not necessarily death or birth but the mundane parts of our lives on the toilet. Hopefully, for most of us, maybe on the morning commute you may feel alone, even while cramped like sardines inside a carriage. You can feel particularly alone on the days we are pressured to be with others, like New Year's Eve, or in a relationship that isn't quite working. In our world of computers and whatnot, we're both more and less alone than ever. We sit in little rooms without leaving for days on end. Or is that just me? Maybe it is, but then I have interview after interview, chat after chat with friends and for work. And anyway, here to tell us that it's okay to be alone, to make that time for ourselves, even within friendships, relationships and communities, is Francesca Spector, whose book Alonement is linked in the show notes. Uh, Francesca helps people come to terms with being alone and learn how to rock that alonement look and that style and go to the cinema alone, to restaurants alone and to feel confident and happy. Follow Francesca on at Shay Spector, C-H-E-Z as in the French spelling, Shay Spector on Twitter. I'm on at Andrew Gold underscore OK and you'll find the bonus section of this episode on patreon.com slash Andrew Gold. If nothing else, it'll keep you company. Not that you need it. Are you are you ready? Uh, I'm I'm ready. So I'm Francesca Spector, author of a book called Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It. And I have a podcast of the same name. And as might be clear from the title, it's a platform really about being alone in a way that's quality time and not lonely and actually something that we all need a little bit of in our lives so that's my whole spiel and 
before that, I was a journalist. I, I still am a journalist uh, as a freelance uh, part time. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's my general platform. And that's most of what I write and think about day to day. I'm just I was wondering, actually, just recently, like, um, so if that becomes your sort of brand and your MO and that's alonement and it is what it is, then what if you find a partner or fall in love with someone or become very sociable suddenly is there a voice at the back of your head going oh god but this is my sort of whole thing what do I do (laughs) well this is where I was very clever actually Andrew because I have in my book actually I write chapters about bringing alonement into different parts of your life uh, and whether that's when you're cohabiting with housemates or you know later on a partner if those milestones sort of happen in that way or in a relationship I went and interviewed lots of people in fact it was great I got to ask couples lots of nosy questions about their relationships and normally it works the other way around if you're single and about how alone time functions within that that's the difference I suppose between what I'm doing which as far as I'm aware is a pretty unique movement still and something like the single positivity movement, which is a movement around being comfortably, triumphantly single, uh, and in some cases, single for life, although it's it's not all about just being single for life. But alonement was always something that I wanted to make universal. And that was the thing about also having a podcast around it. It meant that I was able to choose my guests, to choose people at different life stages, different ages, uh, different relationship statuses, because the main thing, and I think the crux of when I realized that this idea really worked is that it's regardless of your relationship status. We are sort of all inherently alone. And either that can be a celebration of your individuality, of your creativity, of your capacity to occasionally retreat into your own head and make that a positive experience, Or it can be something horrible that you run away from and almost put a sticking plaster over through being in relationships or surrounding yourself with people all the time or overworking, being on tech, all the things we do to pretend that we're not alone. Do you think there is a bit of a conflation with alone and lonely, like a negative? Is that what alonement came out of? Yeah, a thousand percent people say uh I'm so alone, meaning I'm so single, you know, I'm so alone, I'm so lonely. There is that conflation. And I don't like it because alone is, I mean, alone is a brilliant word. At the start of my podcast, I always ask guests to define what that means to them, because there are so many different definitions. Uh, But automatically, if you say alone, people do think of those negative connotations. And that's the whole reason that I actually invented the word alonement which is the title of my book and podcast I ended up trademarking it uh, on Valentine's Day 2020 which was a very very strange can you trademark words yeah you can trademark words it's surprisingly easy uh, to do so if I wanted to like wear a t-shirt and I like set up my own company called alonement you could soon I guess I could I'm already scared of the the admin that that would (laughs) would involve probably a lot more than trademarking. But yeah, (laughs) technically, yeah, that that makes me feel pretty powerful, actually. I could see you. Uh, I tried that when I was like 22. To I tried to make up a word called traliving, which was like traveling and living. When uh, and I didn't really go very far with it. Yeah, 
<laughs> I'm not even going to be kind with that one. <laughs> that doesn't sound great. Although I do love, I do love not dissimilar to that. There's um, leisure apparently, which is a blend of business and leisure, uh, which, I, which I quite like. Quite often you hear people tacking on a few extra days of holiday onto their business work trips, whatever. Yeah, but stuff like that will always be taken by like some company who's like, you know, Google will be telling their employees, hey, this is a pleasure trip. You're you're sitting in a, one of those nice chairs and you're enjoying your work, aren't you? And they're like, oh, more work. Mm, you're right. It's that awful capitalist conflation of work and, and leisure. Pleasure. Mm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe less of a great word. We'll, we'll put it put it to bed with with traveling. <laughs> Try living, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one doesn't it doesn't stick in the head, does it? Try living. So why why were you? I mean, you you say in your book you were terrified of being alone, uh, and I guess a bit of FOMO and fear of missing out. Uh, and I, I guess a lot of us feel that way. Why do you think that is? Like, what is causing this pressure to be with people all the time? Well. <sighs> It's not something that you conquer either. I think that we are all alone. We're born alone. We die alone. And as melodramatic God. as that sounds, it, it, it does it, right? I, I, I say it in my book and I have to sort of soften it by saying, you know, take some, take some deep breaths. But it's a thing. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a relationship that's important and you nurture it. But then it also involves confronting a lot of, responsibility a lot of autonomy uh, you know a lot of dealing with very uncomfortable feelings because beneath it all even though we are alone we're alone in our own minds and, and much more so than than you know than animals we, we were able to sort of analyze that weird state of being um we are also tribal creatures at the heart of it and that fear of being left out of the pack um, and, and that's where loneliness comes from that fear of having a feeling and not feeling that everyone else shares it or not being in touch with a group or not quite feeling attuned with a group mindset that is a really really scary thing and I think that it's often easier or at least it seems in a short-term comforting way easier to surround ourselves with others so it, it's it's like it's it's a totally natural feeling and it's also something that's quite quite sympathetic and not necessarily you know it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world loneliness I think is a really useful feeling sometimes because it's okay to accept that you don't want it I, I know that for instance the relationship between alonement and lonely you can't really have quality time alone if you're feeling particularly lonely that week it does thrive on that balance sometimes I plan lots of things in my schedule because I know that actually I want a night in in the middle of the week and I'm not going to enjoy it if there isn't that beauty of contrast mm. um but uh, but those it's like almost a revolutionary need to be around people um which is natural and actually helpful and then this there's something else which uh, I can only really describe as a spiritual feeling that we also need to be alone in our own heads and our own conflicts with each other all the time. I wonder if because of our reliance nowadays on social media and how we're always like glued to our phones, we don't really have much time to sit and think about our thoughts. And uh, do you think that's part of it as well? It's like those, you know, it's almost like, okay, we can now go 90% of our days without having to think about whether or not we're happy. So that 
extra 10% when we are alone, it's like, oh my God, what thoughts are going to come in my head? Like, stop it, stop it. Someone else come and distract me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, social media is brilliant because back in, back in the olden days, you know, all we had was, I don't know. I I mean, you know, coffee and chocolate were considered hard drugs back then at some point, (laughs) weren't they? Or, you know, good old opium or that kind of thing. But there was nothing that was actually designed by absolute, you know, billionaire geniuses um, in Silicon Valley to be a all singing or dancing distraction machine. And that's what social media is. It's, you know, it's designed with the same technology that we make video games. It's brilliant. So it's almost, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes we talk about social media as this thing that just emerged out of nowhere and it's, it's exceptional and it's, and you know, that's what's wrong with society now, but it's, it's actually just reflecting of that very natural urge that we've always had to run away from our, aloneness and it's just really really good it's like there's dopamine injections isn't it i remember reading about a rat i think it was ricky gervais talking about it there was like some rat in a cage that had a button it could push and the button would like push its dopamine it would like give it more dopamine so it just pushed the button all day every day and because of that it just didn't eat because eating just gave it the same dopamine so you might as well just keep pushing that button so it just died of hunger but it was just like incredibly happy all the time and I guess social media is a little bit like that and stops you having to actually sit back and think about your thoughts oh my I don't know I mean so 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 what happened to you to take you from that place of you know fear of missing out uh, and fear of being alone to to embracing being alone so I will go into that in a moment I just want to comment on that the, the dopamine rat we are all kind of that rat or I don't know about you, but I've definitely had nights when I am sort of that, that rat on the, on the, you know, like it's sort of, sort of sprawled on the sofa, you know, not even, you know, getting home from work, you know, I, I on the one hand, I could cook a healthy meal and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do something that's actually quite, uh, I don't know, uh, nourishing accompanied, but yeah, nourishing, nourishing is exactly the word, but but you don't, you sit, sit and scroll, um, you know, that sort of like sprawled, like Roman emperor pose, just sitting, you know, scrolling on your phone. And, and then actually it's really funny because it feeds right back into that because eventually, even if you realize that you are hungry, you've got, I, I'm a quite ashamed, but not too ashamed to mention it on a podcast, Deliveroo Plus subscriber. And, you know, you, you almost, it feeds back into that loop of um, rewarding that sort of horizontal behavior. I don't know. It's really, Dopamine. Uh, that, that rat, yeah, that, that, that rat image is going to stick with me next time. <laughs> well, in your book, you mentioned that, that other experiment um, about, you know, that we would rather shock ourselves with electric shocks than have to sit with our thoughts. Mm, yeah, I love that one. And it's, it's like, it was 15 minutes or something, wasn't it, that they said they had to sit with their own thoughts for. And they said, no, we would rather we would rather <laughs> give ourselves electric shocks just for something to do. So it's not it doesn't even have to be a good source of dopamine or distraction or whatever it is. It, it can be something really bad. And we'd rather choose that than our own thoughts, uh, which which I totally get, which I guess does bring me to the origin story of alonement, mm-hmm. which uh, happened in a time long, long ago, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, in uh, November, well, November 2018, I uh, went through a breakup, like all good stories begin. Yes. And it was uh, it was my most significant relationship. And it was the one that I thought would save me from that awful task of having to be, I don't know, be physically alone very much because we did actually, and, and not all relationships are like this, but we, we did spend a lot of time together. We were what I've since learned was 
codependent, which which apparently is, is the bad one. You want to be interdependent, but that, that's another thing. Anyway, so we, we were that. Uh, and I suddenly looked around and I was living alone by that point. Uh, my ex-boyfriend had been living with me for a bit, but then I was living alone, alone. Uh, all my friends were in relationships and most of them were then cohabiting. Um, and I was, you know, I was the only only single one. And for one reason or another, I was spending more time alone than I ever had in my life. It wasn't so much the single thing. It was just the lack of distractions. And, you know, it was, it was initially okay because it was, it was December then. So it was Christmas party season. Uh, I, it was probably the, I mean, people, people talk about breakups in winter as a bad thing, but, you know, I think it was actually, actually a well-timed one from that respect. But then January came around and I kind of thought, well, this isn't feeding me. I guess that word, that word nourishing before I'm not, I'm not processing the breakup. I seem to be going on increasingly terrible dates, which, which felt like absolutely a slap in the face after having been in what was for you know, for its faults, because it did end, but what, what was a very respectful, loving relationship. And I thought, well, I can't do that anymore. The price of always running away from myself is too high. Um, I'm in a situation where it's actually, it means not really having a very nice life. Uh, so it was my, I didn't even want to call it a plan B. It felt like a plan, a plan E, if anything, at the time. I decided look, I've, I've always been a bit scared of being alone. And uh, my mother had always mentioned it because she is a serious introvert and I've always been an extrovert and still am. I'm, I'm energized by being around other people, um, which is why I was enjoying all the Christmas parties, to be fair. Um, but I said, look, maybe God forbid my mother was right. And maybe I should experiment with spending some time alone. Nothing can be worse than these terrible dates, nothing can be worse than the ensuing loneliness. Uh, let's, let's try it. Um, and so I started doing things. I started doing the things that I wanted to do that I was feeling a lack of people to do with uh, by myself. So these were quirky things like I wake up bolt upright sort of, you know, seven, eight AM on a Saturday morning. Uh, and uh, this was always a, a matter of contention with, my ex-boyfriend who quite rightly believed that that wasn't normal it was uh you know it's it, and it's not <laughs> you're shaking your head it's it's completely it's it's yeah, it's sadly the way I'm wired but you know so I started taking myself out for breakfast at this time and then doing you know for instance when when my ex and I had broken up we had to uh cancel a trip to Amsterdam that we'd had planned for Christmas which would, would have been really lovely um and I get one of the the sad side effects of the breakup was I thought oh who am I you know who am I going to travel with um you know apart from sort of the annual um trip with friends you know who, who's who's up for like a weekend break but that seems like it's going to be quite hard to coordinate now uh and you know I did things like I, I traveled to Paris um I started uh going to the cinema alone which I absolutely adore I actually do prefer it to going with other people now which is sort of awful but I was doing all, all of this and then I was doing things that I was doing something that actually I'd always done on off but interestingly I'd, I'd I'd neglected to do when I was in a relationship which was that I started journaling uh in a consistent way so I started journaling 
most nights. Um, and, and that's still where, um, that's, I think that's kind of where my fundamental alonement still really takes place because it's, it's just where I become a friend to myself. It's, it's, it's quite often, you know, I had this last week, I'd been reflecting on a situation a dynamic where I'd never felt comfortable and I never really understood why. And it was, it was actually just journaling about it. You get a new perspective, almost like you're consulting a close friend, but there's something about writing it. And I don't know if this is just because I'm a writer by profession, um, that, that is very, is, is very amazing. And, and I realized that, I don't know, I, I suppose something like journaling or meditation, which I've got into in the past year, that is, it's like the, entrance fee I always call it to alonement that those those things are sort of like practicing being alone with your own thoughts and that those are the the building blocks at which point you stop building going for dinner alone or you know being being alone on holiday when you do have to be with your own thoughts by default that's sort of a non-negotiable quite a lot of the time um anyway you know I was doing all of this um, and at the time I was working uh, full-time um, at a tech company uh, doing their editorial. And I, I realized that, look, I, I write about lifestyle and this is the biggest change to my lifestyle that I've ever had. This is the biggest lesson I've learned as an adult. I'm, you know, I'm happier, I'm calmer, I'm making better choices, not just in my romantic life, but, you know, with, with my friends, with the people I surrounded myself with, I need to talk about this. Um, and that's where, that's where alonement came from. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random 
IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. I think one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk to you is because I did um, on New Year's, I decided like I'll just send out a little message to the podcast listeners and just, you know, Happy New Year, everyone. And at first I was tempted to be like, oh, I hope you're going out and having parties and stuff. And then I thought, you know, just from the sheer number of people, there's going to be a percentage of them who are actually really miserable around that time of year because I guess they've been taught that you need to be out with people and stuff like that. As it happened, I was alone because my girlfriend was out in Argentina visiting family um, and I missed her. But I was also very quite comfortable on my own. And it, it it made me sad to think of all the other people who maybe fear of missing out or who who felt like something must be wrong with them. So I ended up sending this message just saying, uh, look, Happy New Year to all. I know some of you will be going out having a crazy time and stuff. And some of you will just be sat at home. Maybe there's even some sad history there. Maybe this is your, the time you're missing family. And just I wanted those people to know that the rest of us are thinking of them and that we're not all like out with loads of people that actually a lot of us are just alone and stuff. And then you look at Instagram and everyone's like having a great party and they're out with hundreds and thousands of people and it's just not reality, is it? So I guess I really like what you're doing because it's showing that it's okay to be alone, I guess. I think it's interesting, the thing about, because it, there is an inherent paradox there, right? About being alone, but sharing it and having a community around being alone. It's almost like hmm. the minute you put something on social, it's sort of taking away from I don't know the purity of your aloneness which I, I don't really think is a very helpful philosophy but I do think you know, if if you're caught up in the moment um whether that's a great period of alonement or whether that is a great party you're probably not going to be looking at social media at, at that time on New Year's Eve so actually possibly uh, you know very likely that your choice to do that it got across to the right people. Um, you know, those of us who are, and you know, we've all been there on those days where you're supposed to be on top of the world, um, Christmas day, new year's, uh, these, these times throughout the year, it can feel extra lonely if you don't feel like you quite match up to that. Um, I mean, that's definitively loneliness, isn't it? Like the, the gulf between your expectation of company and the, in the company that all the, the feeling of companionship that you have. So, yeah, I think that, it's funny because I used to be quite squeamish about talking about loneliness. Um, but my big breakthrough with that was realizing that actually you can't, you can't acknowledge or celebrate one end of the spectrum, which for me is alone, but without acknowledging that it can quite easily slide into loneliness. I, I mean, I have uh, particularly Sundays, I've, I have days all the time, which oscillate between alonement and, and loneliness. And I think that it's really important to be able to acknowledge both and know that that's okay. Because I think also if you don't normalize loneliness for other people or normalize that actually sometimes you might be, you might feel lonely on New Year's or another day, you can't really, then, then you're always going to be so ashamed of 
being alone that you're never going to it's never going to occur to you as it didn't to me for so long but that it could actually be sometimes positive although I guess we have to think about there are some people who do have real like and that's not what you're talking about I guess but people who have real loneliness issues um I mean, I mean people die of loneliness I, I had uh, David Robson who, who wrote this book about the expectation effect and uh, how your mind the nocebo effect the opposite of the placebo can really it can uh, make your health deteriorate if you feel really lonely and sad and have no expectations for life but I suppose that is uh, the very extreme end of what you're talking about yes but I think that conversations around loneliness is incredibly important I mean I actually um, I, I fronted a, a anti-loneliness campaign um, hmm. earlier this year um, called um, New Year's um, New Year's Revolution um, for a company called Four Nine, and it was really it felt really empowering to actually open up that conversation. And I think that we do need to, on not not just even on an individual level, because it can. I guess it can it can fall into the realm of subjectivity when we're talking about it on an individual level and it's hard to compare like with like but it's also a social problem it's you know people you know especially you know uh, marginalized groups people in, in you know in older age for instance not having a network not having support that that's a failure on the part of the government that's a you know there's a failure on the part of us more widely as a society where you know in a society that doesn't really acknowledge older people in the in the way that that we should um so i don't i don't know i i, I think that it's it's important to talk about something loneliness is something that is actually structural not just a subjective feeling that we all have i remember seeing and i don't think that was in the uk or maybe it is actually there have been some programs to sort of set up students living with uh retired people have you seen that kind of thing uh, yeah you, you hear about these initiatives and you just kind of think wow in, in a way it's in a way it's a no-brainer but you know there's there's one thing that's a you know uh, an idealistic thought experiment and people who are interested in that and then there are the people making these things happen and I think sometimes there's a bit of a gulf between those people or the, those people don't often find themselves in a room together uh, which means you know because it does it does it comes down to quite literally infrastructure there are there are so many ways that lonely people could be brought together um, and it's you know it's a shame I think in a in a Western world, you know, maybe particularly in the UK, when we do quite often live, you know, away from our extended families, we are we're lacking in that sense of intergenerational support when it comes to loneliness. Whereas, you know, if you if you think about it in you know other areas of the world, um, you know, in Asia, for instance, like, you know, it's it's more normal for there to be an intergenerational household, and then that that means that there isn't a problem anyway because the it's like loneliness is sort of inherently acknowledged as something that no one wants so everyone lives together and everyone sort of benefits from it and I guess I guess all these sort of newfangled ideas of pairing students and older people that's kind of just how people would have lived anyway maybe in the past in the UK or you know elsewhere in the world actually it's very normal. I think a few hundred years ago there were just houses like that were like one big room and like 20 people lived in it and somebody was saying the other day about you know kids would just like see their parents having sex like there was no privacy there was nothing hidden everything was just like all together all the time and we've gone really quickly in the last couple hundred years from that to like 
you know, I like I said, my, my girlfriend was away in Argentina. She was away for like six weeks. Um, and I almost, I think partly because of COVID and I thought I don't need to really catch anything i sort of spent six weeks i think without seeing a single soul but i went to this i went shopping a couple of times and i was actually i was i was personally right i know everyone's different and i suppose that's the next thing i want to ask you is like we grew up with this idea i think uh i don't know although i did of introverts and extroverts as extroverts are very loud and crazy and introverts are very quiet and keep things to themselves and i think that's and you touched on it before. That's not really the case. So, what what, what is the difference? Like, I want to know which one I am. I'm pretty sure you're an introvert, <laughs> given given what you just told me. Uh, and you know, I suspect you sort of know, or maybe suspect that about yourself already. But the reason that I imagine that is, I what, what you've described to me sounds very very difficult because as an extrovert, which I still am. I do very much get my energy from other people, from being around other people. And that, that's the whole thing I say about sort of almost planning in or making sure I have enough connected social time to underpin also my alonement time. I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. I wouldn't have the energy to enjoy time alone if I wasn't around people enough. And it, I definitely found that during the early stages of lockdown I was living alone for well I mean I have been living alone this whole time but I was I was alone I didn't see anyone for uh you know two three months um and that was very 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 strange um very I didn't I guess I didn't feel like myself uh is the only real way to describe it do you do you think I mean looking back at that time did you do you think that there was a level to which you felt okay at the time but also, do you think it might have affected you or? No, I loved it. I loved it. Really? You know, I, I think I could, I said this to my girlfriend the other day. And by the way, like she's, she's going to start maybe editing the podcast now. Uh, she's got a bit of spare time. So she's, this is the first one she's editing. And I, so I feel a bit awkward talking about her because, um, but that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I said to her the other day, like, you know, I could, I look at those people in like um, Antarctica, you know, they work like six months in the winter and the sun doesn't come up and they're just sat there and they don't see anyone. And I think, you know what? I could do that. Oh, I could go to space. And and maybe it's easy for me to say that because I am talking like two or three times a week for the podcast with people like you. These are my conversations. These are my social situations. That, that doesn't mean I don't have like really close family and really close friends. And I see them quite a lot. It's just that when I don't see them, I don't want to publicly say I don't miss them because I do, but I can just, it's not where I get my energy from other people. So, and I think that's what you touched on before about the difference between introverts and extroverts. It's that I'm, when I'm out with people, I'm thinking like, oh, it'd be good to get back. Even though I seem like I'll, I'll be the one talking the most and I'll be talk because I'm so nervous that there's any gap in the conversation. So I'm talking and talking and talking. And people like even said, like a friend of mine's mum the other day said like, Andrew, you do, you do talk a lot. And I was like, oh God, oh no. Um, but then it's like, I need to get back. I'm thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back home and just sit and then just like work or watch something on Netflix and just, and then I can go out again. So I guess that's, is that the difference between, uh, you know, introverts and extroverts? It's more where, it's where you get your energy from. I think that, you know, what you're describing to me isn't an experience that I don't relate to. I definitely, particularly on holiday, I suppose. And I, maybe it's telling that that's the circumstance. Because I have a certain, I, you know, I have a certain tolerance, I guess. So I'm, I'm used to being alone quite a lot. My job is pretty solitary. I live alone. I'm single, like all of those things. Um, 
I when I'm on holiday I'm like oh this is 24 hour time with people I, I do I do actually weirdly enough I do sort of learn to lean into it and then to a degree it's just actually not necessarily the problem about being around people being being around people I can't you know switch off with and, and sort of just act very naturally with but I definitely I do get that urge to sort of retreat uh, and it's it's never it's never meant badly towards anyone um so I, I do think you know we are all on this sliding scale um and it would be uh, maybe unnecessarily alienating to say that we are completely one able or the other um but yeah I definitely I, d- I do think that energy is probably the best definition going where you get it from yeah hmm. I like this there's a quote in your book from Eric from and it's it's I think it's I've, I've I wrote this like quite a few weeks ago so I hope I've got it right but the ability to be alone is the condition for the ability to love do you, I, I like that because I just think like if you if you can't be happy I think I'm getting it right and saying if you can't be happy alone it's very difficult for you to then have a healthy relationship with someone yeah absolutely um and I mean there's a there's a um oh gosh I quote I, I think about this quote a lot and you'd think I could quote it off the cuff but there's a real quote which effectively is you know that love is being the custodian of one each other's solitude and I think there's something in that as well but I guess the main the main point of it is you know we are we are all alone in our own heads we are we all have our individual sort of ambitions our, our dreams our, our curiosities and if you feel in a situation where you're clinging on to someone um but you're actually quite unsettled in your mind um and you don't feel the ability to sort of you know sit back breathe then that is kind of codependency you know if you're so afraid of losing someone that you will almost compromise anything about your sort of inner world you know anything and everything about your inner world just to be with them then that's not that's not love it's something like it um and I don't think I don't don't get me wrong I don't I think that there are elements of codependency in every loving relationship I actually you know I remember saying to my best friend um oh I think it was um this time last year so yeah January last year when you know we were in this awful lockdown stage and we're all sort of being the worst versions of ourselves and I just said I'm really, really dependent on our weekly walks at the moment. You know, they really give me this sanity that I just didn't think I could have otherwise. Um, and that feels really scary. And she's like, no, that's, that's you know, that's relationships. That's that's normal. But, so, you know, I, I do think, I, you know, I don't think we live in, should live in this idealistic world where we are all just totally independent beings who just have these, you know, amazing conversations where we enrich each other's lives and then we separate and then we have really clear-cut boundaries. Those things do exist. Um, but there is... I do think fundamentally, um, and whether that's something that you foster within a relationship or out of it, you do need to have some sense that you are an individual, your inner life matters, and your journey matters outside of being in a couple, as well, you know, as well as the journey that you take together, because otherwise you're sort of compromising your one world and precious life um, out of fear. And I don't really believe in being motivated out of fear 
out of the fear of being alone. I have so many, I mean, couple friends, you look at them and then some of them just like burn really brightly. And those are the ones I think who fear of being alone. They burn and then they just die off or they stay together in these really unhealthy uh, relationships where they're just at each other's throats the whole time and angry and, and insecure. And then you've got these other ones who are like, I knew a couple who seemed to be really, really happy. And like, they would go away for like a month at a time separately and come back and just be really happy and chilled and secure and I used to look at them like what like how are these mature people doing it and of course you don't know the underlying things maybe because they just simply don't love each other you don't know but still it was something I thought like okay I could learn something from that I I remember early in my I've been with my girlfriend now and again I hope she forgives me discussing it publicly but seven years and early on you know, I was quite young and so was she. And so dealing with a lot of this stuff, and that's, I think, when you're most insecure, that's why, you know, when you're 18, people get in these breakups and it just kills them because they can't imagine being alone again. Um, So I remember things like um, I wanted to go scuba diving and she didn't want to go because she's scared of it. And I just, yeah, I guess. And then I just, like a few like months later, I remember mentioning it. It's like, well, we didn't go scuba diving. And she was like, well, you could have gone. And I was mm. like, oh, yeah, I forgot I could have gone. She wasn't stopping me. I could do what I want. Why didn't I just go scuba diving? I regret that because I love I've only been like once and I loved it. So, yeah, I think you should go scuba diving. But it really is a thing. And I guess that that's I guess that's where the Eric from quote comes into it. You know, it's the ability to be alone, but also I suppose giving or maybe the real quote being the custodian of each other's solitude. You know, you. In a way, you sort of not control, but you do have you do sort of filter into each other's solitude in a relationship because there is a there are all these micro decisions during the day um where you could say you know oh you know you could just almost give your partner permission to feel like they can foster their aloneness you know oh i'm i'm going to you know i'm i'm going to go for a walk um you know and you know your partner not feeling compelled to come with you all, all of these things you it's sort of a culture that you have to develop together um and alonement is a value that you have to have together because otherwise it's just one person seriously offending the other yeah uh, yeah one person feeling frustrated all the time because they want a bit more space the other one feeling like oh why are they pushing away from me and i guess if you can make the dynamic that you both just sometimes have a bit of space and that's fine it doesn't you know and that that must be a big problem and i've definitely heard a few couples some have broken up um during the whole um lockdown time because you're just like forced together and you're just sitting there in your pajamas uh, some people have got these big houses with gardens and stuff and they're okay but like most people who have got like one you know one room flats and stuff like that it's disaster isn't it mm, well <laughs> it is and i do i i think that i like the term couple culture which i use in my book which basically is a nice phrase that implies you know every couple within the couple has their own culture so i think that you know what goes for one couple shouldn't go have to go for another which is my massive preamble to me saying that my my brother and his now fiance they moved in together at the beginning of the pandemic they lived in a one bed flat they isolated i think twice or three times at this point they're bloody loving it. I mean, you know, I think that when when they rang me up um, during the first lockdown and they said to me, you know, oh, we, we think we've got COVID, we've got to isolate, you know, can you pick up some groceries? I'd never heard two happier people. Uh, so, you know, I think that some, and I, I actually, but interestingly about them, they're both quite independent people, even on their first holiday together. I remember they went to Amsterdam and um, I think, you know, my brother's then girlfriend said to him, oh, I'm, I'm, um, 
I'm going to go to the the Anne Frank house because she hadn't been. And he was like, okay, have a, have a good time. I'll, I'll see you after. And she was like, what? <laughs> they didn't even have the conversation about how it had just been sort of swept. Like there'd been no, no assumption that they'd go together. Um, but then debriefing it, they were like, they, they both seemed totally fine about that dynamic, which is really beautiful. I think that, you know, I think that the likes of, uh, the likes of myself, I've got to, write a whole self-help book about it and then and then you know explore it through trial and error and various relationships for some people that you know being honoring each other's solitude um, and independence and individuality it just comes naturally and I think that that's a really beautiful thing too um still not quite sure how they managed to do a lockdown together in a one-bed flat but that's another story do you find um do you find that you're concerned about things like the metaverse the way humanity is moving towards have you given that much thought um no not really i i know this uh, this might sound a bit absurd but i remember you know learning about the invention of the printing press i think it was a it used to always stick in my head that date. I think it was something like 50, 1454 or something. I don't know. It was, it was a very long time ago anyway. But people were very, very scared when they invented the printing press. They thought it was like the end of society as we know it. And it wasn't. And, you know, I think same with so many te- technological advancements throughout history, you know, same with the Industrial Revolution. All of these things have happened. And, and you know, somehow it hasn't been the end of the world. Um, even coronavirus wasn't. So, you know, I think having seen that, I think that, yes, it's big, it's scary, it's unknown, but so have a lot of things been in history. And so it's quite, I don't really, it doesn't seem logical to me to almost sort of be afraid of these things it doesn't mean the end of the world but i suppose it could mean a difference in how we interact with one another and our social dynamics and things like that and i i do wonder i I mean we don't know that's that's the point isn't it i do wonder what yeah what will happen and and i I suppose there's a lot of benefits for for people who are lonely to be able to go into that virtual world and and always be able to find someone to talk to like we have online but it's also i guess getting rid of our real lives maybe but you know to an extent i think a bit like a bit it's a bit like social media social media is only as social as you make it uh, you know i personally i absolutely hate whatsapp um you know I, I because i think it makes me you know i say to my friends look i i really want quality time together i'm not the person that's ever going to be very good at back and forth sort of messaging throughout the day um but i am the person who will never look at my phone when we're together um you know and i think that but but then things like zoom which you know we're talking on now um they they're amazingly connecting um you know i I imagine you're the same and that you know you've pivoted your job to zoom during the pandemic something that we never thought could happen so i think that it's not that techno you know it's not that online communication isn't connecting and offline is you know i'm sure you know i'm sure both of us have plenty of dissatisfying conversations in person too it's just about making it work in a way that does sort of fulfill that you know does go some way to to reverse that feeling of loneliness what sort of people are i mean are people getting in touch with you and and uh, for, for your book and guides and things what what are they getting in touch about necessarily and how how do you help them generally um 
you know, if I was to say kind of line of best fits um, about people who do get in touch, it's people who've been through breakups um, and are redefining a life on their own terms, which does involve quite a bit more aloneness. And, you know, by, by the time they get in touch, I say, well, you know, great, you've, you've, you've come across the book. And you also, I don't know, they're, in a way, they're a lot further than I ever was at that at that stage, you know, working it all out. You know, during that whole stage, you you are when you write a self help book, you are your own patient. So generally, it's just it, it's just saying, oh, that's you know, that's so cool that you like to go to the ballet alone, or like, oh, um, you know, we trade solo dining tips or all of that. Because again, that coming back to that paradox, it's not nice to feel lonely in something that something's not normal so almost we can bolster each other's solitude just by talking about it just by sharing about it inspiring each other you know coming back to that sense of doing things in the community so you know I don't uh yeah it's not necessarily doling out advice over the internet because you know to begin with I'm not I'm not an expert um and you know to go on to that you know I get to interview lots of experts you know for my book for my podcast um and that advice speaks for itself but I think that generally it's just that we're all sort of this community of people working out how to be alone a bit better do you find a difference in how men and women experience loneliness yes all sorts of differences um and you know it, it is very much sort of life stage dependent um I think that there is one interesting thing that I've noticed, um, and this does actually come directly to relationship statuses, that it's a lot easier as a woman to be single and to have a fulfilling life um, because of all sorts of things, because of, you know, I suppose there's been, particularly in the last few years, there's been this status of, of friendship and being, you know, uh, I use the term emotionship as well friendships can be emotionships you can have you know you don't just have to come and have that deep conversation with your partner um you can actually you know lean on a couple of your best friends for that you know and in, in, in my experience I've continued to do that um in relationships as well because they offer a, a unique perspective um and I think that perhaps I don't and, you know maybe this is just my vantage point but I think it's it's harder um it's, it's, it's harder for men to feel that they can sort of own that lifestyle. You know, there aren't any, there aren't many Ariana Grande songs about it. There, you, know, you don't really kind of get, you don't really have the, you can't be what you can't see, I always think. And you don't have those single male role models. You do, in, you do in a way, you've got the sort of, you know, the suave bachelor, but it's not, it doesn't really deal with the nuance of what it is to be single and to have to sort of go through that, you know, the journey that comes with it. Um so, yeah, I, I suppose that's something, you know, statistically, even they say it's after a certain age, I think it's, it's like, you know, so, sort of post 40, that, that kind of age. Men that get divorced after that age are so much more likely statistically to remarry than than women, you know, within within the first five years um, after their divorce. And I honestly do think that, you know, in, in, in you know, the data supports this, that it isn't this isn't actually because there are no women sorry there are no men for those women to marry it's 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 because of choice and I think that that's fascinating and I think that that conflation that we have of 
alone and single or indeed lonely and single can become much more of a truth speaking very generally um if you if you don't feel able to be comfortably single as a man um yeah and you know and I think that that's a real shame because the loneliest place to be in is a bad relationship there's definitely something in that with I've I've seen lots of uh women in their sort of 40s 50s and 60s who have just said like I'm done I'm quite happy on my own now if someone comes along fine but I'm pretty much done and you never I never hear men saying that but Mm. I I guess I thought I mean there must be you you say the data support I don't know anything about this it's just anecdotal off the top of my head there must be some uh effect just the fact that we have this tradition where uh maybe an antiquated one where older men go with younger women so a woman who is newly divorced and 55 is only going to be able to find on dating apps a man who's like she's ready to like look after who's you know in his 70s or 80s and then these men who are 50 odd they're looking at like 30 year old women i'm not i'm not saying that that's a society that i approve of but just something i've noticed that must also be a part of it no i don't know oh god i mean it's very much a thing i um i'm 30 um and i was dating someone who i think is now about 31 and, you know, we had we had a conversation um, where he told me, you're probably the oldest person that I would date. I wouldn't date anyone. Oh, my God. Older. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But wow. and he, said, he, he said to me, well, I still want time to work out my life. So I'd rather date ah. someone who's about sort of 24, 25 so that there's no impetus on me to sort of hurry up. And I said, thank you for being so generous. <laughs> that <laughs> he's that honest he, yes very honest um yes very honest that's different though because that's about like babies and stuff so that's quite a practical thing i guess when so. it's, like it's a, not yeah a 50 year old man just wants a younger looking woman absolutely absolutely and you know whether whether you say that that you know you, people say like the appearance of fertility and beauty is related yada yada um in you know in women which is why you know men can sort of age gracefully um women apparently can't but I don't know yeah there are those general trends but in that you know that is definitely an experience that I've seen written about I've seen spoken about um but that's that is just an inconvenience really I think that no situation is perfect um and I think that you know with 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 dating with relationships often it you know it only takes one um and you know I don't think that it, the case is just that there is this complete I, I don't I don't think that that it, that being said that that completely um delegitimizes the idea that it is also a choice um because you know because it's very easy to see why uh you, you know for women especially who've you know traditionally had to be nurturers had to define themselves in relation to other people's wants, um, children's wants, um, you know, their, their, their partner's wants, uh, men's wants um, throughout time. It, it, it's no surprise that in that stage of life that you, you would sort of want to own your aloneness, you know, your independence. Um, it's, yeah, but you know, it's, it's all anecdotal. Um, it's funny, I was actually reading um, an article in Red Magazine just early, earlier on today, um, about a writer who was saying, um, I think Sarah, Sarah Hapola is her name. Um, and she was saying that she's started dating younger men, largely because of the, uh, yes, that 
completely that oversight on dating apps, but she said, actually it works. And I think that, you know, I think that when you actually sort of throw out the rule book and, and just approach dating as what, what makes you feel like it's, you know, it's worth being in a relationship with that, you know, what it's worth trading in your independence. And I think that that's, it's quite nice. It's quite nice that these situations, which don't seem so typical can, can work and actually, you know, can be a really nice solution. Thank you, Francesca, for teaching us all a little about being alone. And thank you to my lovely girlfriend, Julieta, for so beautifully editing this podcast episode of On The Edge with Andrew Gold. Continue listening to the bonus segment on patreon.com slash Gold and check out the video version on YouTube. Please make sure to subscribe, like, share and review. Thanks to my new patron, Jacqueline G. I really appreciate your support. I've had to do this quite early, so I haven't been able to find out if you're happy for me to read your full name out or not. So I haven't gone with the full surname, but I'm delighted you have signed up. And please, everyone, continue to support, share and review the podcast, which you can do on Apple and CastBox. I'm a little ahead in my interviews and I'm recording this well in advance, so don't have much in the way of reviews and things to tell you about. All I'll say is thank you for sticking with this podcast. I've started to make a living full time from it. And while I'm not exactly raking it in, I've got to say that I never imagined I'd be making a living from this. When I started 18 months ago, it was a pipe dream. Uh, I knew that very few podcasts get to this level. And to be honest, I had no idea what, what else I would do with my life. I just decided to make episode after episode and to never, ever miss a broadcast date week after week uh, and to see where that would lead me and where it would lead the podcast. A few weeks ago, I was able to give up my copywriting work and other commitments to focus full time on this and uh, up it to twice a week now. I now earn just about enough to, you know, through ads and Patreon members to get by. And I owe it all to you guys, the listeners. So thank you so much for keeping up with the podcast, for not complaining about having to listen to ads. And thank you for spreading the word and telling your friends. It's been an amazing ride. I've loved getting to know many of you and can't wait to hear from the rest of you over time and to continue making these episodes forever. Uh, yeah, thank you for keeping me company. Although I'm also becoming more confident being alone with my alonement. Uh, see you not next week, but in a few days. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.